For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids with over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. From Mediator's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Weekend Review, presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to steeldealers.com. Now, here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. A dentist from Pennsylvania is being charged with murder after prosecutors say he killed his wife on a hunting trip in Africa, somehow covered it up, and collected $5 million in life insurance. Back in 2016, 67-year-old Lawrence Rudolph and his wife Bianca took a trip to Zambia so Bianca could hunt leopard. While they were there, Bianca was shot in the chest with a 12-gauge Browning shotgun, according to a report in People magazine. Lawrence told the police it was an accident, he was taking a shower when it happened, and he said his wife shot herself while trying to put the shotgun in its case, which had been loaded from the hunt the previous day. At the time, Zambian police, as well as insurance investigators, determined that the doctor's story checked out, but that's not where the story ends. Lawrence had his wife's body cremated right away, which, according to one of Bianca's friends, was against her wishes as a strict Catholic. At the time, this friend asked the FBI to investigate Bianca's death because she suspected foul play. She claims Lawrence had been cheating on his wife and was verbally abusive. The situation also aroused the suspicion of the consular chief at the U.S. Embassy in Zambia. He told prosecutors he had a, quote, bad feeling about the situation, and he took photos of the body before Lawrence had a chance to cremate it. He didn't ask the husband's permission, and Lawrence was, quote, livid when he found out. Investigators have also cast doubt on Bianca's ability to shoot herself with the shotgun in question. A Colorado medical examiner said it would have been, quote, physically impossible to fire this particular shotgun 
from its case and produce the wound seen on the body. In addition, the consular chief who examined the body told the FBI the wound did not appear to have burn marks on it, meaning the shotgun was fired from some distance away from the body. As you might imagine, Dr. Lawrence had vociferously denied these allegations. He's pointed out through his lawyers that none of the initial investigators accused him of anything. He called the current investigation an outrageous prosecution and accused the government of manufacturing their case against him. Lawrence is being charged with foreign murder and mail fraud, and the case has been filed in a federal court in Colorado where one of the insurance companies has an office. The trial is scheduled for February 28th, and remember, innocent until proven guilty. In related news, cat-loving animal rights groups are strangely silent about the dental profession after this trip to Africa, which is odd. Sure, no lions were killed, but, uh, you know, a 60-ish year old lady would qualify as, uh, I mean, I'm not going to say it. This week, we've got salmon, legislation, and monkey business, but first I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week included ripping a ramp off of Stephen Rinella's snowmobile trailer. Blame it on supply chain or COVID or who knows what, I cannot find a replacement. I hate borrowing things and messing them up, returning them worse than how I got them. So if anyone has or knows of a caliber V-front ramp shield, please let me know. In other trailer-related news, a couple of the wires on the four-flat connector corroded off during my long, long night drive from Cascade, Idaho to Bozeman, Montana. So I did a bunch of driving with my hazards on, which is, you know, makes you feel like a jackass. But when I got home, I did manage to wire up a new four-flat connector before I dropped it off, which is a small victory, but I'll take it. After I successfully dropped off the snowmobile trailer and snowmobile, full of gas and oil, I might add, I headed out to Sheridan, Wyoming, to visit with the crew at Weatherby and check out their new property at the edge of town. We had a great visit, and we gave the dogs a really good workout chasing some planted birds out on the new place. Planted birds, if you are unaware, are pen-raised birds that you literally go out and plant in the grass or whatever cover you have, then come back a while later after the birds have relaxed a little bit and, uh, and hunt them. You flush them up, shoot them. Uh, if that sounds a little, you know, strange to you, I'll admit it is a little bit, but it's fantastic for training both new shooters and new dogs. And you get to eat the targets. We had a great time, and Snort was an incredibly tired girl at the end of the day. And lastly, before the news, the Cal in the Field YouTube series was devised about three years ago to tackle topics that all of you folks listening here at the Week in Review wrote in about and you wanted to know more about. Okay, invasive carp, grizzly bears, fisheries management, CWD, just to name a few. If you are dying to know more about a topic, heck, if you even feel like you could co-host something that is near and dear to your heart, write in to A-S-K-C-A-L, that's askcal at meateater.com, and we'll, you know, we'll give you a shout. Maybe cover it on a future episode of Cal in the Field. Sound good? Yes! Moving on. Lots to cover over at the Salmon Desk. We'll do the uh, marginal news first. 
Uh, as many folks know, it was an extremely tough year for winter-run Chinook in northern California's Sacramento River. Just 2.6% of the hatch survived long enough to leave their spawning area, and only half of those fish made it all the way down to the San Joaquin Delta, where they can access the Pacific Ocean. Sacramento Chinook are divided into four species by what time of year they run, or migrate from the ocean to the upper reaches of their native river to reproduce. Winter-run Chinook typically leave the ocean into San Francisco Bay around November, then spend December through early August swimming north until they reach the gravel beds where they spawn in late summer. Winter-run sounds cold, but the embryos and juveniles of this species have to endure the hottest time of year. Chinook salmon need the water temperature to stay at about 57 degrees or below to survive, and these days, that can be a tall order. Not only have water temperatures been rising year after year, but the severe drought in 2021 meant that Shasta Lake, the man-made reservoir that feeds the rest of the Sacramento River, reached one of its lowest points ever, and demand for its water was extremely high. Salmon advocates accuse the State Water Resources Control Board, which oversees releases of water from the dam, of prioritizing agricultural interests in the area over Chinook salmon and providing much less cold water than the fish needed. Winter-run Chinook were placed on the endangered species list in 1994. As a result, their survival is supported by complex reintroduction plans, intense hatchery efforts, water temperature control devices on the dams below Shasta Lake, and, you can be sure, more legal fights about who gets what share of the dwindling water supply in the area. Moving on. A separate run of Sacramento Chinook has been using delayed migration, which sounds like a tactic you pick up off the shelf, but this is just a human name for something that the fish did on their own. This variety of spring-run Chinook typically leaves the ocean in March and spawns in the fall. After spawning, juveniles either migrate right away as young of the year, or they remain near their spawning grounds and start heading toward the ocean as yearlings. A recent study in the journal Nature looked at spring-run Chinook from the Mill Creek and Deer Creek tributaries of the Sacramento. In these areas, the late migrators represented only about 10% of outgoing juveniles but they were about 60% of the returning adult fish. Amazingly, they made up more than 96% of the surviving adults for the most severe drought years. This strategy worked for these particular fish because they were able to wait in the cold water of these upper tributaries before making a break for it. But dams in the area have cut other salmon off from similar tributaries where they used to spawn. I gotta tell you, that last paragraph with all the percentages... Made me think of uh, that famous line from our good, good friend Todd Schneider. I can't remember it exactly, but it's something about like 96% of all statistics are made up on the spot. 60% of the time, it works every time. Anyway, how do scientists track these fish travel so precisely, you may be asking? The answer is the fish's ear bones, called otoliths, which add a new layer of very thin tissue every day like rings on trees or sheep horn annuli, just much faster. These layers consist of minerals from the water the fish are swimming in. Scientists identify the minerals from a particular river or stream in each layer of a fish's otolith, and that lets them trace exactly where that fish went over the course of its migration and how long it stayed in each place from natal tributary to the main stem of the river to estuary to ocean and back again. The otolith is like a passport with a stamp from each body of water, 
Kind of like identifying what happened to you this week by looking at the dust in your ears or the dirt under your fingernails. Further north in California, the dump of precipitation late last year and early this year came right on time for the coho salmon of the Tamales Bay watershed. A quick dip into salmon distinctions, coho and chinook appear very similar to the untrained eye, but because seasons, limits, and length requirements can be very different for each species, telling the two apart is a big deal for anyone catching them. The best way is to take a look into the fish's mouth. Coho salmon show a distinct banding pattern on the lower jaw. There's a dark band outside the base of the teeth, then a white band or very light band right at the base of the teeth, then another dark band just inside the base of the teeth. On the other hand, Chinook have one uniform dark color across the entire lower jaw, though occasionally it's a little mottled. But back to the Tamales Bay Coho. Preston Brown, the director of conservation for the Salmon Protection and Watershed Network, said, We've seen fish in places they haven't been for almost 25 years. The precip came just as the coho were running, allowing some to reach tributaries in Lagunitas Creek, 13 miles inland. Salmon prefer to get way into these small bodies of water where temperatures are cold from nearby snowpack and the gravel beds are wide, shallow, and relatively clean. Salmon can reach these beds incredibly quick once obstacles are removed, and after the San Geronimo Creek Dam was removed in this area last year, some coho were tracked a mile above where the dam had been, which, again, is awesome. Which of you listening right now took a class in school about Family Finances 101? No one? Yeah, me neither. Just like the importance of a will or college savings plan or even life insurance or estate planning, we have to know these things. But how do we figure it all out? That's why I'm excited to partner with Fabric by Gerber Life. Listen, one of the few things expected of you in life is to not let other people pick up after you. That's why I have life insurance, to make sure my stuff is taken care of even when I'm gone. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You could be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash cal. That's meetfabric.com slash cal. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash cal. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. 
I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Moving on, other good news came recently for the salmon and steelhead of the Columbia River Basin. That's uh, water from Idaho, Montana, parts of Alberta and Washington draining into the Pacific. And although we've been talking about the importance of conditions on the inland part of a fish's life cycle, what happens out in the ocean is just as important. And last year, we saw an enormous swell in cope pods, a staple of the salmon and steelhead diet. In the Pacific, off the west coast of the U.S., cope pods are crustaceans so small they don't have a heart, gills, or circulatory system. They just absorb oxygen directly through their exoskeleton. That name, cope pod, means oar feet, and their proportionately giant flippers and extremely quick nervous systems help them evade predators. But cope pods can only evade so much, and when their numbers boom, fish further up the food chain flourish. The last time we saw such a big jump in cope pod populations was 2008, and the following season, more than 300,000 steelhead were counted at Lower Granite Dam on the Snake River in Idaho. That is way upstream for these fish, close to where they reproduce. To give you an idea of how great the 2008 boom was, in 2021, there were only 56,032 steelhead counted at Lower Granite, and the average from the previous five years was just over 60,000. So 2008 was an exceptional year. Biologists are very hopeful that we'll have similar booms in the near future. Of course, we have no idea what the future will bring for all these fish, but one thing we know for sure, they are resilient if they can catch a break. Now, I would be doing a serious disservice to all of you if I did not mention some historic figures. Prior to the Lower Snake River dams, an estimated 2 million steelhead and salmon would pass through this same stretch of river. So when we talk about how resilient these fish are, when they get a little break, that historical context is key. Moving on to the ever-popular legislation desk. In Washington state, hunters are working to reinstate the spring black bear hunt that was suspended last year. The hunt, as I covered in episode 137, was not canceled based on science or good conservation policy. Instead, anti-hunting groups fostered a groundswell of emotional opposition to a hunt they characterized as cruel and inhumane. Now, hunters and conservationists are pushing back. Meat Eater joined backcountry hunters and anglers, Blood Origins, Safari Club International, and several other groups in filing formal petitions for the Washington Fish and Wildlife Commission to reconsider their earlier decision. Those petitions were successful, and on January 21, the commission voted 4-3 to begin a rulemaking process that could lead to a vote in March to reinstate the season in May. Stay tuned for the latest updates on that story, and if you live in Washington and would like to get involved, send a message to the commission today. 
Staying on the black bear beat, North Carolina is considering a proposal to allow bear hunting in three of the state's mountain bear sanctuaries. The policy change was requested by the U.S. Forest Service in response to increased bear-human interaction as bears become more habituated to getting food from sanctuary visitors. The North Carolina Wildlife Commission supports the proposed change, and there's currently accepting comments from the public. If you think this is a good thing, you had better comment. There's probably going to be a few comments that don't agree with you. In Louisiana, the Wildlife and Fisheries Commission is asking for public input on a slew of new changes to turkey, migratory bird, and other hunting policies in the state. Among the list of changes, the commission would allow electronic tag and validation procedures for deer and turkey hunting, open hunting in some wildlife management areas, restrict hunting in other areas, and open all of Cato Parish to turkey hunting. To check out the full list and submit your own comments, visit wlf.louisiana.gov. On the federal level, Republican Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana and Democratic Senator Tammy Duckworth of Illinois are proposing new legislation to curb bear poaching. The bill would ban the importation, exportation, and interstate trade of certain internal organs poached from eight species of bears, including brown bears, black bears, and polar bears, Bear gallbladders can sell for thousands on the black market, and one bear poacher in Montana recently got busted for exactly that. If you want to hear more about that story, check out episode 135. Finally, returning to Washington State, county commissioners in the Blue Mountains are asking the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife to extend mountain lion season in their area. They argue that the elk herd is far below population goals, and they hope that killing more lions will help more calves survive. If you live in Washington's Asotin, Garfield, Columbia, or Walla Walla counties, reach out to the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife and let them know what you think. Next up, we have a non-legislation issue, but one that you know already. New Mexico more of a backroom dealing kind of situation. Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham recently dismissed a member of the state's game commission, Jeremy Vesbach, and stream access seems to be the cause. For a full rundown of this issue in New Mexico, scroll back and listen to episode number 121. But as a refresher, several large landowners have applied to the New Mexico Game Commission to designate waterways that run through their property as non-navigable and therefore off-limits to the public. Last year, the commission, including Vesbach, rejected five of those applications, and Vesbach was not shy about expressing his views in the press. It so happens that several of these same landowners contributed to the governor's campaign. And here she is, removing an official who voted against them. Does that seem above board? Should similar mechanics determine who the governor appoints to the game commission in the future? give a call to the New Mexico governor's office to let them know your answer. And go back and listen to episode 121. Okay, stream access is a major, major deal if you like to wander around outside, despite being a violation of the New Mexico state constitution. It's just a serious, giant middle finger to everybody else on the planet who likes to be outside. That's an opinion ending to that piece. Moving on, Pennsylvania monkeys. 
A truck and trailer carrying 100 monkeys crashed into a dump truck last week in eastern Pennsylvania, resulting in three escaped primates and a 24-hour monkey hunt. In the famous words of comic writer Dave Barry, I'm not making this up. The Cinomalgus monkeys had been recently imported from overseas and were on their way to a research facility in Missouri. The pickup truck towing the monkeys made a left turn onto an on-ramp directly in front of a dump truck. The dump truck struck the rear portion of the passenger side door and broke the covered trailer housing the crated monkeys. Amazingly, none of the monkeys or humans were injured, but three of the smaller primates escaped to the wooded area surrounding the highway. State police warned the public not to search for or approach the monkeys and asked anyone who spotted a monkey to call 911 immediately. Cinemalgus monkeys, also known as long-tailed or crab-eating macaques, are a little larger than your average house cat and hail from Southeast Asia. They often live in and around towns and cities, and they occupy the second largest distribution of all non-human primates. They're frequently used in biomedical research because of their 90-93% to similarity to and recent evolutionary divergence from humans, according to IQ Biosciences. They're most often used for basic research studies in disease pathology and treatment, vaccine development, immunology, and cardiology, amongst others. Once the three Pennsylvania monkeys escaped their cages, they immediately ran into the surrounding trees. Cole said he didn't see any monkeys running around when he arrived on the scene, and state police posted images of the primates sitting in pine trees. State police brought out a helicopter fitted with thermal imaging cameras to aid in the search. After about 26 hours, police confirmed that all three monkeys had been accounted for. According to Valley Township Fire Chief Mike Cole, law enforcement secured two of the monkeys the day of the accident, and the last was taken in after being spotted by a private citizen the next day. All three were euthanized. Why? Because nobody wants to turn into zombies. We've all seen that movie. Of course, that's not quite the end of the story. Our friends at PETA put out a statement just hours after the incident warning that the monkeys, quote, scattered across the highway would infect humans with disease. Obviously, PETA's seen that movie. Importing monkeys and tormenting them in laboratories is likely to cause more human illness than experimenting on them will ever prevent, PETA science advisor Dr. Lisa Jones-Engel said. Another PETA article worried about the lack of biosecurity during the incident and lamented how the escaped monkeys are undoubtedly terrified and likely injured, and they may be harboring viruses that are transmissible to humans. As evidence, PETA links to a report from the Associated Press with the headline, Police Warn People to Not Approach Lab Monkey Missing from Pennsylvania Crash. In the article, however, police make no indication that the monkeys are contagious, and having covered several of these animal escape stories, I can tell you that it's pretty standard practice for law enforcement to discourage approaching the wild animals. Not to mention, you gotta test animals traveling internationally. One woman who was on the scene claims to have developed pink eye-like symptoms and is currently taking preventative medicine. Doctors did not diagnose her with anything in particular, Right now, there's no reason to believe that a COVID 2.0 just took off in Montour County, Pennsylvania. Remember, pink eye-like symptoms come from anyone's poop, not just monkey poop. You can get pink eye from farting in a pillow? Totally. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. 
That's all the monkey business I've got for you today. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to write in to A-S-K-C-A-L. That's askcal at themeateater.com and let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. Now remember, if you're going to have monkeys dropping into your backyard unexpectedly, you better have it looking ship shape. Go to www.steeldealers.com and find a local knowledgeable steel dealer near you. They'll get you all you need to trim those trees and make them monkey-proof and monkey-safe. They'll get you what you need and not send you home with what you don't. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you next week. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit MarketHouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY.